there's a picture that's going to show up right here. Um, how many people know who this is? Anyone have any idea who this is? You might know him if you saw the actor who portrayed him in the movie Catch Me If You Can, Leonardo DiCaprio. Say it right? Yeah, it doesn't sound right. Um, next. His name is Frank Avignel Jr. And Steven Spielberg picked DiCaprio to play him in a movie. And if you have not seen this movie, it is a fascinating movie. And the reason Spielberg wanted to tell a story is because it is a powerful story of redemption. But if you have not seen the movie, at age 16, Frank Abagnale Jr. begins to experiment with different identities, becoming a pilot, a doctor, a lawyer, flying over a million miles as a Pan Am pilot, um, over 26 countries, and writing over $2.5 million in fraudulent checks. One of the um, greatest con artists in history. Um, the fascinating part of the story is after he's out of prison, he becomes part of the FBI and becomes um, someone who helps them solve numerous identity thefts. And there's a fascinating um, talk that he actually gave uh, on Google. You can look up Frank Abagnale Jr. Google Talks, um, and he spends about an hour talking about the actual story of his life and where it differs from the movie. But it, it is a fascinating, fascinating story because from 16 to 18, this kid is writing checks and he's flying all over the country, posing as a pilot. Um, and if you've seen the movie, the, the story is, is quite fascinating. Because he has so many different identities. And I wonder how often we, like Frank Abagnale Jr., try on different identities. That, that we allow ourselves to become someone or something that we're not. Because it just fits us better. And how often we allow money to change who we are, or the prospect of fitting in in friendship to alter our identity, or, or the pull of power to become what drives us and motivates us in life. And it's so easy to try on different identities because it's so easy to be someone else in different places. Because you can be one person at work and another person at church and a different person at home and it's possible that those identities never really cross paths. And it's possible to live your life never really knowing who you are because you try to be someone different every setting you find yourself in. And this whole series, Imago Day is based around a simple question. Who am I? Who am I? And it's a question from a very young age we are simply trying to answer and trying to figure out who, who am I? Who, who does God want me to be? What does God want me to do? And the whole premise of this series is based around this idea. If you lose sight 
of the identity you have been given vertically. You will search for it everywhere horizontally. If you lose sight of the identity that you have been given by God, you will begin searching for it everywhere horizontally and allowing other people and other things to tell you and to define who you are. And we buy into the lie that what you do determines your identity. What you do, your job, or how much money you make, or your education, or your family, or your house, we allow those to determine our identity. Rather than the identity that we have is people made in the image of God. And I wonder why is image bearers, people made in God's image, people called his children, how it is that we so easily lose sight of that identity, lose sight of who it is we are and who we were created to be. In Luke, as well as Matthew, there is an account of Jesus' baptism. This one is from Luke's account. In verse 21 of chapter 3, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. It's there in the water that Jesus' identity is confirmed. Jesus enters the water, and as he comes up out of the water, there's a voice from heaven that says, You are my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Excuse me. You are my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. And it's this identity that's going to define Jesus' life and ministry. But what happens next, I think, surprises us. Because the exact same thing that happens to Jesus happens to us. Listen to what happens next. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So we find Jesus immediately coming out of the water, going into the desert, and there he is tempted. See, we have this mindset and this persona, this, this idea somehow has gotten caught in our mind that after we come through the waters, that life gets better. That, that life, the physical life, gets easier. 
that we come through the waters, that we've been baptized, that God has said, you are my child, I love you, I'm pleased with you, and now things are going to get better. Things are going to get easier. For Jesus, they don't. For Jesus, he comes out of the water and finds himself in the desert where he's tempted by Satan. But, but what we miss in that is Jesus is not alone in the wilderness. I think we think, okay, Jesus is, is through the water, he comes out of the water, he goes into the wilderness, and there he's left alone where Satan's tempting him. But I want you to listen to how this begins. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. There, there is a spirit that is inside of Jesus that is filling him as he goes into the desert. Not only is that spirit filling him as he enters the desert, the spirit is leading him into the desert. It's not an accident that he finds himself there. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted. Excuse me, you get the lingering effects of the flu today. Jesus finds himself in the wilderness, in the desert, a place where I think we look at our life and we ask the question, God, where are you? God, why have you left me here? Why, why have things gotten so bad? God, why aren't you showing up for me the way I think you should? Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full. See, it's this Holy Spirit that is there abiding in Jesus. The Spirit that is called a counselor. The Spirit that is called a comforter. The Spirit that is called an advocate is there with Jesus as he is tempted. There, there is a spirit that is present. But there is also another spirit that is present. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. That, that is the unholy spirit that is there with Jesus. There is the Holy Spirit, the advocate the counselor, the comforter. There's the unholy spirit. And that's what that name means, the Satan. It means the accuser. It means to slander. It means to be an adversary. It literally means, it's used as a verb throughout the Old Testament, it means to stand in the way of. And you see that spirit very early in the very beginning in Genesis when Satan enters the world, he begins making accusations of God. God just doesn't want you to be like him. 
God doesn't want you to know the whole truth. God doesn't want you to see the big picture. God doesn't want you to flourish. He begins making accusations against God in the beginning in the garden. And as people believe the lie and they fall into the trap, the very next thing that happens is that spirit becomes pervasive in the world. Because you see the spirit of accusation move from Satan to now man and woman. Well, no, no, it was this woman that you put here. She made me do this. It it was this serpent that you put here. And this unholy spirit of accusation and blame and slander and and adversary, you see, becomes so prominent, prominent and pervasive here in the garden. In Job, the story begins with Job, a righteous and upright man, and Satan saying to God, hey, look at this guy. Think of what you can do. And you think about the, the way the different writers in the New Testament describe him. John calls him the father of lies. Paul says he's an angel of light in disguise, masquerading as an angel of light. The writer John the Revelator in Revelation says he's the accuser of our brothers. Peter talks about him as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And, And here in the wilderness, you have Jesus with two spirits at his disposal. You have two spirits that are available to choose from. This advocate, this comforter, this counselor that is filling him. But you have this other voice of accusation and blame. This adversary standing in the way. And so the devil said to him, verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Then the devil led him to the high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. He, He finds himself in the desert, tempted by Satan. And I think there's three different tactics that Satan tries to to lure Jesus with. 
The first is pleasure. The first is pleasure. Turn these stones to bread. You know, it's a basic need. It's something we need, but, but it's taking care of us. It's filling us what, what we need. The second is power. Here, here are all the kingdoms of the world. They can all be yours. All power has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. And the next one is protection. God, God said he would protect you. Let's put it to the test. And, and it's interesting. I, I think most of the time when we feel tempted, it generally comes from one of those three areas. I, I think those might be the three areas that we're most willing to sell out our identity for. Pleasure, power, protection. Because if, if we have those three things, everything's pretty good. If we have those three things, our life is okay. Pleasure, power, protection. Pleasure, power, protection. So you've been told this story. And, and the whole point of Satan taking, and that's what we say is Satan taking Jesus. Jesus is not led into the wilderness by Satan. Who is it that leads Jesus into the wilderness? Spirit. We, we think the story is about Satan tempting Jesus to sin. But it's bigger than that. Satan is not trying to just simply get Jesus to sin. He is trying to steal his identity. He, he's trying to to convince him to give up who he is and who God says he is. Because just before he goes into the wilderness, just before he goes into the desert, he comes up out of the water. And God speaks these words over him and he says, you're my child, I love you, I am pleased with you. The Spirit fills him and leads him into the desert where he's tempted by Satan. And the temptation that he experiences is the same temptations we experience every single day. Come on, give up your identity. Give up who you are for pleasure. Give up your identity. Give up who you are for power. Give up your identity. Give up who you are for for protection. I mean, take care of yourself. Make sure you're okay. Don't worry about the people around you. Just make sure you're okay. How many affairs? Have people been caught up in? Because of pleasure power, protection. 
How many financial crises have been due to pleasure, power, protection? It seems like what Satan is doing through this unholy spirit is trying to meet the most basic needs and convince Jesus that God is not capable of meeting those for you. So let me help. And I wonder how often you and I give in. How often do we allow the allure of pleasure, power, and protection to tempt us into trading in our identity? See, see, the beautiful thing is God confirms his identity. And he doesn't leave him alone. He fills him with the Spirit. And Jesus says, as we read earlier in John, that it's better that I go away. Hey, this, is, this has always been crazy to me. It's better that I go away because if I don't go away, I can't send my comforter to help you. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Okay, it's better Okay, these disciples, they have Jesus with them every day. They're walking through the city. Hey, Jesus, how do you think we should handle this? Well, I think you should do this. Great. Hey, Jesus, we tried to do this and it didn't work. Well, I think you should do this. Hey, Jesus, there's a person over there who's lame and crippled. What should we do? But he says, it's better that I go away, because if I go away, then I can send my comforter, my counselor, my advocate that's going to dwell in you and empower you and help you. Can, can you see, as you hear this story from the desert, can you see the counselor, the comforter, the advocate beside Jesus? Filling him with responses. Filling him with the power to withstand the temptations that are being thrown at him. With the power to hold on to the identity that he has. See, you thought the desert was the place it seemed like God abandoned you. But it's always been the place that God has cared for his people. One of the books in the Old Testament is called Hosea. It's written by a guy named Hosea. And he was a prophet. And God told Hosea that he was going to go and marry a prostitute. Because Israel had become a prostitute to him. And so Hosea is supposed to go and marry a prostitute. And in chapter 2, I don't know if I have this, I don't have that, that slide. In chapter 2, verse 14, God says to Hosea, 
I am going to allure her. Speaking of Israel, I'm going to allure her into the desert. And there I will speak tenderly to her. I'm going to lure Israel into the desert. And there I'm going to speak tenderly to her. What if the desert is not the place where God has left you, but rather the place that God has led you? Because in the desert, in that dry and vast land, there are no other distractions. There are no other voices. The pull of pleasure, power, and protection are gone because you're without anything. But maybe it's in that place that you can most clearly hear the voice of God speak to you in the midst of the pain and the hurting. You are my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Because that identity that was confirmed in the water in Jesus' life was lived out in the desert. It wasn't just simply lived out where everything was good and well. It, it was his identity that determined what he did. It is identity, what God said about him, that was the one voice that he listened to over every other. See, if, if you look around our world right now, you look on Facebook, you look on the news, you see that pervasive spirit of Satan everywhere. The spirit of accusation and blame, very adversarial. But there is a spirit that as followers of Jesus is supposed to fill us. It is one of an advocate, a counselor, a comforter, not only to help and empower us, but to allow us to be God's hands and feet in this world. And I think so many times we find ourselves where we're searching everywhere else for our identity because we've forgotten the identity that God has given us. We've forgotten the image that we bear. We've forgotten that we're called a child of God. We've forgotten that Jesus says, as he comes out of the water, I love you, you're my child, I'm pleased with you. I wonder what voice you listen to the most. What voice you believe 
the most? What voice has the power to sway you? What voice has the power to convince you that selling your identity to the highest bidder is worth it? Because God loves you and calls you his child. And he is pleased with you. It's in the water that that identity is confirmed. And that we say now we are in Christ. We, we are like him. We are different. We are set apart from everyone else. And that pervasive spirit that is all over our world of blame and accusation has died, has been put to death, and this new spirit now lives in us of this advocate, this comforter, this counselor who is empowering us to love this world as Jesus Christ loved us. That, that is the message of the gospel of Jesus. That this world has the hope of resurrection because of what Christ did in this world and is doing in this world through us. And if you've never given your life to him, if you've never gone into the waters of baptism and entered into Christ and been raised in Christ into this new life and into this new being and filled with this new spirit, then today is the day you need to do that. Today is the day you need to make that decision to submit your life to Jesus, be filled with his spirit, be buried and raised out of the waters. It's that simple. And if you've never done that, we offer you that invitation this morning. And if we could help you in any other way, if you would like to study about that more, we would love to help you. If you would like someone to pray over you, we would love to do that as well. Whatever we can do to help you as you follow Jesus, we would love to do that. We'll have ministry staff, shepherds around the back of the auditorium. I'll be here if I can help as well. But whatever we can do, come while we stand and sing.